HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Heritage Radio Network Farm Report. We're broadcasting here from two shipping containers at Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today the Farm Report will be talking with Ken Clem, one of America's leading bison ranchers. And uh, Ken, it's, we're glad to have you on here. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of your land? The history of our land, uh, we're high plains, rolling grasslands. We are in the essentially the epicenter of native bison habitat for at least a millennia. Uh, so it's just wonderful, wonderful prairies, big blue sky and rolling grasslands. So can you tell me a little bit about the history of the bison in America? Is it indigenous to this territory? Yes, bison is indigenous to the United States, uh, to North America, actually. There at one time were 60 million bison roaming North American continent, which is the largest a number of grazing herbivores on the face of the earth, greater than any of the herds you see in Africa. And at one time they were slaughtered down to only 800 animals in the late 1800s. And now they've built themselves back up. The herds are at about a half a million and growing. And uh, you talk on your website about um, renewing the environment through wise farming practices. What does environmental renewal mean exactly to you? And how and in what ways do you use your resources wisely to renew the environment? Hello? 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 Hey, Ken? Yes. Okay, you can hear me now? I can hear you. Maybe a buffalo pushed the telephone pole over somewhere. We... Okay. Um, you talk on your website about renewing the environment through wise farming practices. Mm-hmm. What does environmental renewal mean exactly, and how and in what ways do you use your resources wisely to renew the environment? Well... We use uh, we use rotational grazing. We're students of Alan Savory from Holistic Management International. Been using his principles for well over 20 years now. And through rotational grazing, we're able to mimic the uh, way these grasslands were made, the interplay between the native species bison and the grasses that are here. And we're able to increase the carbon content of the soil, which increases moisture retention. We create more shade. We raise the water table. We create a lot more uh, habitat for wildlife. And it's kind of an increasing beneficial uh, cycle. Uh, proper grazing leads to more grass. So that's, that's probably the big thing we do. We, we're mostly grazers. We do do a little bit of farming, but we're, we're mostly grazers. What's the average w- size and weight of a buffalo before it goes to slaughter? Our slaughter animals are about uh, 1,000 to 1,100 pounds, and they're about two years old. Okay, and how many buffalo do you have on your farm? 
We have about, it's a ranch. We have 550 head on our ranch. And how much buffalo meat does the average American consume per year, would you say? Boy, that's a good question, but I'd have to say just a fraction of a pound. Not much. Not much. So how do, how do these buffalo, how, do, how does a buffalo ranch like yours stay, stay afloat? Well, the only reason that there's not a lot of consumption per, per human in the United States is because there's not a lot of bison. bison. Uh, as, a, as an industry, the whole industry, we only slaughtered about 50,000 head in 2008. Let me put that into perspective. Every day in the United States, there's 120,000 cattle killed. So in other words, what we slaughtered is the whole industry in, North, in, in the United States last year wouldn't even have made it to a lunch break on Monday in the cattle kill. So we have a very small supply and a great demand for that supply. Consequently, our, our buffalo are worth about twice what a beef cow would be worth as far as slaughter animals are concerned. And what parts of the, of the buffalo are most popular for consumption? Oh, anything you make burger out of, uh, the rounds for jerky, and uh, what's also very popular are the steaks. From the, We do filet mignon, a ribeye steak, sirloin steak, uh, a, top, uh, a, uh, a strip steak, and of course those are all at our website at thebuffaloguys.com, but uh, those are all very popular steaks. And are you getting on board with, this whole, with the whole animal movement, with consuming every cut? Do any of your cuts ever go to waste? No, there's no cuts that go to waste. No cuts that go to waste. And what what would be considered a bison's off cuts? Well, um, I suppose there are some uh, off cuts, you know, maybe a chuck or something like that. But we're kind of an interesting situation in the beef business. You know, you can break a beef and get a, you know, a one-pound skirt steak off of an animal and make a market for that where you're processing 120,000 head a day you know, you can you can get a you can get a lot of it off there, but what we're processing as an industry fifty or a hundred head a day, and we have a one pound cut of meat off the carcass. You know, the first order we have that for a thousand pounds, we got to kill a thousand buffalo for that. So we don't go real deep into the carcasses and look for those off cuts because it creates marketing problems for us in that we have to market the entire animals that comes. So we try to keep the try to keep the cuts of the animals fairly simple. And so all those all the cuts that would would be traditionally re- reserved for off cuts go into things like burgers and sausages. Right. Exactly. So the whole animal gets consumed though. It's not like to get one bison loin you waste the whole animal. Oh no, no. Everything gets used. That's right. We grind everything that wouldn't, you know, the off cuts wouldn't. Uh, that, that we don't we the more off cuts that we don't market get into the grind. So I'm not a rancher, so let me know if this question is ridiculous, but do you do anything with the fur? Uh, we do, Lorenzo. Um, we have, uh, there's a couple of companies that actually shear the animals at slaughter because they're a wild animal. They don't lend themselves to being sheared like sheep do. So at slaughter the, during the winter, they'll shear the fur, actually, actually hair off of them, and they weave it into very fine products. It has a finer micron uh, than cashmere. It's a wonderful, wonderful product. And there's two companies that make sweaters and shawls and gloves socks and it's it's a very high quality product and now about what percentage would you say of the farm's revenues are uh accounted for by by fur sales and fur by fur sales oh fur is just it's, it's almost insignificant as far almost as the insignificant. Of dollars yeah it's a very small amount huh that's a little surprising um 
what kind of are there any predators that that threaten the well-being of your bison while they're grazing? Nope. No None. predators. There's, you know, that that stands true for wolf, uh, grizzly bear, mountain lion. I mean, that there's, you know, bison have been on this continent fighting the most fearsome predators for ten thousand years. Uh, you know, from the saber-toothed lion, the bison were fighting them. Uh, all the way on to you name it, the, the big lions that were on this continent before the, you know, during the last ice age. So they're survivors, and uh, there really are no effective predators. You might get a predator that snipes one here and there, but they're really not a problem at all. And that's because they roam in, in family units. Lorenzo, do, I can't hear you. And is that because they roam in family units? Uh, yes. How do they protect themselves from predators since they're not, they're not an aggressive animal, are they? Yes, they are. They are. Okay. Yeah, they can be very aggressive. Matter of fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, I found a coyote that they killed. Hmm. They'll run them down and stomp them into the dirt. Uh, they stay together as a group. They're built very strong. They're about twice as strong as a beef cow. They're very agile. They're fast. They can run as fast as most horses can run, and they have unbelievable stamina. They're very, very hard to kill. Their bone is as dense almost as a bear bone. That's the only thing I can compare it to. They're just built different than uh, most animals. They're just really built strong. And, of course, they're the largest mammal, land mammal, in, uh, North Amer- in North America. Does raising these animals ever get dangerous for the rancher? Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's... there's Explain yeah, to me some of, the, some, of the, some of your most dangerous encounters with, with your own product. Oh, well, I mean, I've been at it a long time. I've been run over and been knocked down and uh, been chased more times than I can remember. But, Holy you know, moly. That's that just kind of comes with the territory, you know. You you understand how to read a buffalo, and you understand what they're thinking, and you know. And it's it's a rare occurrence that you I haven't been seriously hurt ever uh, yet. <laughs> hmm. But it couldn't be too dangerous. I've been doing it for tw- for uh, twenty years now, and I'm I'm doing just fine. So. And so, do you think that being around animals so much and being able to read them has sort of made you with more attuned with how they want to be raised? Oh, that's the only way you can raise a wild animal. With a domesticated species, you can jam them into whatever mold you come up with, and, you know, they'll kind of survive. Bison don't lend themselves to that at all. You have to figure out how they want to be raised, and you raise them in that method. So you take your cues from the species, you take your cues from nature, and, you know, and make their life good for them. And then they'll thrive. They do wonderful. So definitely, yeah, it, they, the, 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 the tendencies of bison, they're... Their nature has made me a much better stockman than I ever was before I started messing with them. Okay, and moving on to some other questions. Um, if you could write one farm issue into law, what would it be? Uh, I'd cease all farm payments and programs, every single one. Can you, can you go a bit further into that? Sure. Uh, I feel that uh, all the farm payments and programs are nothing but a damper on creativity and ingenuity and the entrepreneurial spirit of those of us out on, uh, out on the land that are trying to do something different but always wind up having to compete with some farm program somewhere. If I've got a neighbor that has some ground somewhere that I could make a living off of and pay him a good rent for it, uh, my biggest competitor is the federal government. What governmental program is that's what I'm competing against? If he's raising wheat, corn, uh, soybeans, you name it, whatever programs there are for those crops, that's my competitor. And it squashes the entrepreneurial spirit for these farms out in this region of the country. And then that comes all the way to Main Street. 
and it's making the farms bigger and bigger and bigger because it's all about working the government programs instead of actually working the land. So do you fear that small bison farms might get swallowed up by bigger commercial producers that are sort of, that begin to sort of oh, diversify their their the animals they raise? Well, uh, Lorenzo, the small farms, the small bison farms, there's a lot of them, and most of them are very small. Most of them are not economically viable because they're too small. You have to have a herd of at least 150 to 200 head to become economically viable. Then after that, it, it, there is economies of scale. But you can get too large to where you lose your economies of scale. Uh, so there's an optimum size, and the free market will determine where that economy of scale is. And what's the maximum size for your model? Our model, I'd say the maximum size for uh, the number of animals would probably be somewhere around four to 5,000 head four to 5, in one head. unit. Would be the ma- so you could... You could multiply. Renzo, I can't hear you very well. So you could multiply your current output by about four thousand percent. Is that what I understand? Well, we're at about five hundred head now. So oh, so about eight hundred percent. Yeah, but we don't have the land base for that. Okay. You know, it's, we're all based. You know, we're we're a grass-based enterprise. The bison business is a grass-based enterprise. We are in the business of converting sunshine into grass, and grass into bison meat, and bison meat into dollars. That's our business. <laughs> So our, our limiting factor is, you know, how many acres of grass we have, and we're stocked to capacity right now. We're looking at purchasing uh, some more ranches with some investors. But these are very long-term projects and take quite a – they're very capital-intensive. Even though they're profitable, they, it takes a, a special type of investor to look at something for a 5- or 10-year uh, payback type thing. Sure. Now, how do you think uh, changing global weather patterns will affect the way your bison graze and the way they live, if at all? Well, um, I don't know if they'll, it'll affect us much. I mean, this, this area, I've plotted the rainfall and temperature uh, since they've been keeping records in the late 1800s, and there's a definite pattern to what's going on here. We just got done with an eight-year drought, but actually that drought was not out of line with what's happened in the past. Uh, so, you know, bison have been here in this area for probably 10,000 years and lived through an ice age. They've lived through droughts. I've got uh, species of grass on our land that, have, that are you know, from the north, and I've got some from the south, I've got some from the east, some from the west, and those are all residuals from when this climate has changed over the eons, and uh, you know, the different, different climates have come through here, and there's still residuals of that, and the bison have been here through it all. So I'm sure it'll have some effect on us, but uh, right now we're actually in a wetter, cooler period than we have been in the previous eight years, so we're grateful for that. What are the taste profile differences between a piece of bison and a piece of uh, beef? Well, uh, Gourmet Magazine probably described it best when they described bison as, as uh, sweeter and cleaner than beef. And that's a really good analogy. A bison's not gamey at all. It's got a taste much closer to beef than anything else. It has a little sweeter taste to it, and the cleaner part comes from that the fat is different than beef fat. It's high in the omega fatty three acids. It's almost as high as, as many fish. Actually, it's higher than some fish in the omega three fatty acids. So eating and bison puts you in a good mood. Yeah, puts you in a good mood, and it doesn't adhere to the palate of your mouth, and it doesn't plug up your your digestive tract because the fat is is liquid and it goes through your body, and so it it tastes really good. As a matter of fact, if you go to a four or five star restaurant, quite often a bison uh, filet mignon is the most valued piece of meat on the menu. 
And so, is it true that their bodies are a lot more muscular than, say, a cattle's? Well, you know, there's a lot of different cattle breeds, so it's hard to ju- just, you know, to, to, to uh, draw a conclusion on that. But they are, they yield about the same amount of meat uh, per animal, per pound, uh, per live animal pound, as a beef cow does. Uh, but, of course, it's, it's not as fatty a meat. It's much leaner. A bison is actually lower in fat, calories, and cholesterol than even skinless white chicken meat. So it's a very lean meat. Uh, but it's not dry as long as it's not overcooked, and of course it's tender. All right, Ken. So we have to wrap this up, but I want to get to one issue that I found really, really interesting when I scanned your website, and that is that you say that your frozen meat is actually fresher than what the average consumer could find at their local butcher. Right now, I'd like for you to dispel this frozen versus fresh myth and this this assumption that people have that once something's frozen, it can no longer somehow be as fresh as it as it was had it never been frozen. A, and B, when you're saying that your frozen meat is fresher than what you would find at the butcher, you're saying that it's fresher than what someone would find at the butcher if they then refreeze it, correct? Uh, no. What I'm saying is, is when an animal is harvested, from the minute that animal is harvested, that meat starts to go through an aging process, a bacterial process of decay, uh, to be quite simple. And uh, if you take that piece of meat at, at, and put it right into the freezer, you have arrested that decay process immediately. You've held it. You've checked it right there. However, if you decide to keep that piece of meat fresh and enter it into the production chain, and it goes through the processor, then it goes through one master distributor, and then it goes through a minor distributor, then it comes to the back door of the butcher, then he holds it in his cooler for a day and then puts it out on the shelf, and it may be there for a day or two by the time you get it, you can see pretty soon that that meat might be a week or two of age on it, in the butcher case before you get it. Sure. When you buy our fre- fr- fresh frozen meat, it is likely to have at the most two or three days in the cooler before it's flash frozen. So that that decay process is we, there's hardly any in there. Sure, at all. sure. And if and you I- ask most butchers and ask them, you know, how, how old is this? They they can't give you an answer. They just know it shows up at the back door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And actually, I didn't mean that it would be fresher than if someone got it at the butcher and froze it. I actually meant that you intend to say that it's fresher than something that even has not been frozen. Well, it, 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 if you figure a, meat, a piece of meat has shelf life to it as far as the, the bacterial advancement on the meat, that, counts, that only counts if the meat is not frozen. Right. Or so actually, in some counterintuitive way, freezing it helps it stay its freshest if it's frozen immediately after cutting. Exactly. The big ships that go out to the sea and harvest fish, and they don't come in for a long time, they freeze that fish right out of the ocean. And then they, they're storing, essentially, the freshness of that fish for the consumer that can thaw it out later on. If they kept it fresh while they were out at ocean, in the ocean, by the time they got to the shore, that shelf life, uh, fresh shelf life would be used up. And the same, we do the same principle. We reserve that fresh shelf life for the consumer. So all you listeners out there, take that to heart. Forget your local butcher. Go to www.buffaloguys.com. Get some bison on your plate. And let's help raise the average consumption of, of American bison meat. That'd be great. Thanks, Ken. My pleasure, Lorenzo. You have a good afternoon and a great weekend. Likewise. Send your best regards. Send my best regards to your, uh, to your herd. I will. Bye-bye. 
I got a rose between my toes from walking barefoot through the hot house to you, pretty baby. I got a torn right near my corn from walking barefoot through the hot house to you. And when I fell into the tomatoes, I seen her heart skip a beat. I knew that love was born when she pulled a torn of the flower out of my feet. I didn't even feel no pain because there wasn't any rain in the sky.